goes into the topic of our message today. You know, we've been talking about for the past few weeks on the secret of joyful giving, and we gave you some things last week about what happens when we give. When we give, we said we realize our purpose. God is pleased. God's God provides for us. Our perspective has changed, and we actually partner with God in ministry. But today, I want to I want to talk about a simple topic from a familiar passage of scripture. And the subject matter is going to be the storms of life. Everybody say the storms of life. You know, all of us, if we're honest about it, have had some storms in our life, whether it's a health issue, whether it's a relational issue, financial issue, maybe a spiritual issue, emotional issue. The storms of life come and just because we are born again believers does not exude us or exempt us from having storms that come in our life. Can I get half of a witness up in here? So I want you to turn with me to Matthew, the 14th chapter, and we're going to begin our reading at verse number 22. But the storms of life, when they, when they sang that song, I, thought, I was thinking about the, the message title. Uh, when they said, you made a way, my back was against the wall. Anybody who had your back up against the wall? And it looks like it was not going to happen for you. And then he steps in and makes a way. The storms of life happen to all of us. But there's some key principles and lessons I think that we can learn from those storms that will, that will advance us forward in promoting and projecting the kingdom agenda in the world in which we live in. Because God left us here so that we can impact this world. And the question we have to ask ourselves, what am I doing to impact this world for the cause of Christ? What am I doing to advance kingdom principles in the realm or the circle of influence that I operate in? So in Matthew, the 14th chapter, look at what the text says. And this is very familiar, but I caution you, every time you listen to a familiar passage of scripture, don't look at it thinking, well, I already heard that before. Because you know what? I've discovered, and you have too, that God will bring new revelation out of a scripture you've been reading for years and years and years. The text says this, and I'll, I'll read it. I'll, let's read it from the King James Version. Then I'll, I'll, you guys know I go back and forth between the King James and the New Living Translation just for ease of clarification. So, But in the 22nd verse of Matthew, the 14th chapter, talking about the storms of life, the text says, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side. While he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. Everybody say, Jesus prayed. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, What? Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. 
Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Amen. The storms of life, the storms of life. Now, our lesson text here this morning uh, is coming on the heels of one of the greatest miracles recorded in the Bible. And again, I, I always tell you, context is crucially important. Never take a passage of scripture and pluck it out of its biblical context. Because when you do that, it'll, you, you'll, you'll end up not getting the full gist of what God is trying to show us. So context helps us get understanding, all right? And so so this, this passage here comes on the heel of, of, of one of the greatest miracles recorded in the Bible, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 besides women and children. If you look back at that, uh, at that 14th verse, go back to verse 14 with me right quick. Verse 14 and, and I'll uh, read just a few of that verses following. At this point, Jesus and his disciples were desperately in need of some rest. Amen. And, and yet the, the needs of the multitudes touched Jesus' heart. They touched his heart. He was moved with compassion because there was a bunch of hungry folks around. All right. And the text says this, and Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he did what? He healed their sick. Okay. Verse 15 says this. He said, what? It says, and when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves some victuals. Let's go to the NLT right here on verse 15. Flip to the NLT on verse 15 and we'll keep moving, okay? The text says again, it says, that evening the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Now the text has said earlier Jesus had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Go to verse 16. Let's keep moving. It says, but Jesus said, this isn't necessary. You feed them. <laughs> now watch this. The disciples come to Jesus with the problem. Now, God, remember, there were 5,000 uh, uh, men, okay? 5,000 besides women and children, okay? So he said, this isn't necessary. You feed them. Now, guys, I need you to understand something here. What Jesus is doing with his followers here, with his disciples, because they, they sense and they perceive a problem is developing on their hands. But we found out that Jesus was moved with compassion. And, and really, uh, that literally means that he, he, he had his inner being stirred up. Have you ever been stirred up on the inside? Something just moved you to, to make a move. Something just moved you to, to action. He was stirred up on the inside. It's stronger than just having sympathy for someone. Compassion means that something is on the inside moving you. When you have compassion, you are moved to action. You are, when you really truly have compassion, it'll move you to do something. Everybody say do something. You know, Nike made a lot of money back in the early days of its existence by coming up with the phrase, just do it. How many of y'all remember that? I mean, very simple but very succinct. That advertising campaign said, just do it. See, a lot of folk talk. Hello. But Nike said what? Just do it. A lot of people in the church do what? Talk, but ain't doing nothing. What did James Brown say? Talking loud ain't saying nothing. Some people talking loud ain't saying nothing, ain't doing nothing. 
Nike said, just do it. So Jesus was moved, amen, with compassion. And as, as a result of being moved with compassion, he, it caused him to want to act on behalf of the people whom he had compassion on. So, so again, we see this even in the book of James when, when James was talking about, when he, when he told us to not just pray for a person, but when you see somebody in need and, and you have the means to take care of that need, somebody's hungry, why are you going to pray for them to be filled when you got a refrigerator full of food? You don't have to always give people money, guys. And what I've discovered is sometimes you have to be very wise and use wisdom when you're trying to bless somebody because sometimes you, you can enable somebody, especially somebody that's hooked on, on, a, on a substance, whether it be uh, alcohol, drugs, marijuana, meth, or whatever, whatever they are hooked on, when you give them dollars, that, that's a temptation. But if they're hungry, I can give you some food. If I'm out, I'll, I, I'll take you to the restaurant and buy you some food. But, but, but do something, amen? Because James says just praying over them saying be filled ain't going to help them. Is that right? All right. So, so Jesus was moved with compassion. The word is used 12 times in the gospel, and eight of those references are to Jesus Christ himself. He was compassionate. In this scene, the disciples find themselves in a potentially embarrassing situation. They have more than 5,000 hungry people, and they ain't got nothing to feed them with. But Jesus said, you feed them. <laughs> now, again, I, I, I would ask you to think about this. Certainly, the disciples knew that Jesus was powerful enough to meet the need, yet they did not turn to him for help. Instead, they, they took inventory of their own supply of food, and they, they found this little boy who had, what, five barley loaves and two fish, and, and, and they, had, they knew what they had in the treasure. They had enough money to buy food for all of them. So they said, send them away. But they have the king of kings, the Lord of lords. They have the bread of life right in their midst. And yet, they didn't quite recognize it. And they, as they were looking and following Jesus, how many of you know the disciples were, 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 uh, were not always in tune with who they were walking with? How many of you know that you can walk with Jesus and not really know him like you need to know him? How many know you can walk with people and don't really know him like you really need to know him until you have to go through something with them? I told you all before, when, until you go through a storm with somebody, until you have some conflict and adversity with somebody, you don't really know that person. Because some of y'all, we think we know you, but if we make you mad, we, we may find out that we don't really know you like we thought we knew you. Can I get a witness up in here? So, so they walking with Jesus, walking with the master, and yet still not fully realizing the, 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 the magnitude of his ministry here on earth. And so when they considered the time of the day, it was on up in the evening, and the place where they were located, it was a desert, desert place, a remote place, they came to the conclusion that nothing could be done to solve the problem. Their counsel to the Lord was, send them away. But what did Jesus say? You feed them. What were they saying? Send them away. Let them go buy their own stuff. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough food around here. Send them away. But how many of you know Jesus is teaching here, amen? He's teaching. This is like so many of God's people today. You know, for some reason, it's never the right time or place to do God's work or for God to work in a situation. We, we'll, we'll be in the middle of a storm. We'll be in the middle of a, a precarious, a vicarious situation, a, a, a hard place, and we think God can't work. But I'm here to tell you, and I've seen him do it time and time again. I serve a God who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all I could even ask or think 
according to the power that works in me. And so, so we see this happening right here. And, 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 and so we don't want to get into this position where we think that God can't solve our problems, that he can't bring us through the storms of life. For some reason, again, people always think that God can't do it, but I know he can. I, I like what uh, from the, from, from the uh, New American Standard Bible in, verse, in John 6 and 6, very similar, I mean, what a, another count on this incident. The Bible says that he himself knew what he was intending to do. See, there are times when God will, God will test us to show us where we are. He already knows where we are. But he'll test us so that we can see where we are. Amen? Jesus wanted to teach them a lesson in faith and surrender. And so even though this particular passage is not a part of our main lesson today, because we want to get down to the storm of life, I want you to notice some steps that we must take in solving life's problems. Some steps that we need to take as we look at the dilemma that they found themselves in. And you see where uh, later on, y'all know the rest of that story, right? How it was that they, Jesus broke the bread. He, they, they found out what they had. Now, can we keep reading? Can we keep reading? Uh, the, the Bible says here in, in verse number uh, 16, let's go to verse 16, and then we'll come back and get those steps that will help us here. Jesus says, this is, a, this is a necessary, you feed them. Verse 17 says what? But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. Now watch what happens here, guys. They all ate as much as they wanted. Now he had, what, five barley loaves and two fish, right? Is that correct? But they ate as much as they wanted, the Bible says. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. Now watch this. 5,000 men in addition to the women and children. So I just said there was an average family. Well, back at, they had big families back in these days, okay? We say the average family is a, a husband, wife, and two children, boy and a girl, preferably. But that's not average. In other words, they had big families back then. And ain't nothing wrong with having big families. You know, nowadays we got to the point where we feel like if somebody had more than three kids, that they, what's wrong with y'all? Why y'all having all them children? <laughs> Come on, now, y'all, you know you've thought that. Huh? Uh, I remember when, when uh, Tony uh, got pregnant uh, in Rapid Fire back in the day. We, we teased her because she had those kids kind of close together somewhat. And we, we called her Fertile Myrtle because <laughs> we told Rod to leave her alone. All right. But, 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 but again, nothing wrong with children. Do you not realize that children are a gift from God? Can I get a witness? So, so don't look at people saying, ooh, they godly, they got five children. Ain't nothing wrong with that. They are a blessing. Now, again, do it in order. Covenant relationship first. Then the children. Don't keep spitting babies out and you ain't got no covenant. Can we talk? Now, come on. Now, we, you, you, one, two, okay, we made, you messed up. Hey, God, we, we're going to love you through everything you go through. We're not, as a church, we, we won't ever throw you away. You, you understand that, right? And, I, and, and some of y'all who, 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 who walked, who've been through that process, you know we're not throwing you away. We're going to love on you. We're going to keep advising you and counseling you. And, but, but I want to tell you, get it right. Do it the right way. God can bless. Don't just keep on doing it the wrong way. Okay, one time you messed up, but then five times you messed up? 
Okay. Now, if you got five children and unwed, don't get mad at me. I'm just speaking the truth. It's covenant first, then children. But if you messed up, God forgives. We've, you, come on now. We're going to walk through you. Walk through you, not walk through Walk through it with you. Amen? Because I definitely understand. Amen? Are y'all listening to me? All right. So, so anyhow, and about 5,000 men were fed that day. So let's, let's just assume that it was four kids per family. So, so you got 5,000 men beside the women and children. So there was a multiplicity of people. Now, again, I want to share this principle because we're getting ready to go into the storm. And so this happens before they go into the storm. They didn't understand where food was going to come from. But they're sitting there walking with the bread of life, Cassandra, the one who's able to sustain, the one who's able to keep, the one who's, who was moved with compassion on the people. And as children of God, guys, we got to, we got to, we got to operate in, in godly compassion and, 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 and be moved when God says move. So, 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 so what, what, what do we learn from this little part right here? What are some steps that I think that we need to, to, to learn, some steps to solve in life's problem when we have a situation like this? Step number one, write, write, write this down. You got to put a screen. See, whenever you are in a situation like this, start with what you have. We've been talking about giving over the last few weeks. And some people want to wait till they get big money before they give. No, you need to start right where you are. Start with what you have. Andrew found a boy who had a small lunch and he brought the boy to Jesus. Was the, was the boy willing to give up his lunch? Yes, he was. God begins where we are and uses what we have. Quit trying to wait until you get stuff before you move with God. Move right where you are. Quit trying to wait until, until you get, I got to get this, get this in order, get this in order. Now listen, start right where you are. If you give what you have to God, he's able to take your little and make much out of it. How many of y'all ever saw God stretch a dollar before? How many of y'all ever saw God make, make, make you, you, know, you look at your, at your checkbook and you thought, this ain't happening. This ain't going to work. But see, God has a way of, anybody, I need one witness who saw God make a way out of no way. Start with what you have. Give it to Jesus. Amen? Start with what you have. Don't wait until the right time. The right time won't ever come. <laughs> Can I get it with it? So start with what you have. Second thing, second step you need to do is, again, start with what you have. Number two, give what you have to Jesus. Jesus took the simple lunch, blessed it, and shared it. Amen? Give what you have to Jesus. The miracle of multiplication was in his hands. Little is much in God's hands. Little is much when God is in the middle of it. Jesus broke the bread and gave the pieces to the disciples, and they in turn fed the multitude. Give what you have to Jesus. I don't care how minute, how insignificant it may seem, but whatever you have, if you'll trust God with it, God can multiply it. And he does, he's the one that knows how to multiply. Step number three, obey what he commands. Obey what he commands. Everybody say obey what he commands. Now, this is, this is critically important because they're getting ready to go into the storm. Amen. This happens right before they do that. So obey what he commands. The disciples had the people sit down just like Jesus had ordered. They took the broken pieces and distributed them and discovered that there was plenty for everybody. And as his servants, we are distributors, not manufacturers. We just distribute what God put in our hands. Don't manufacture God's word. Distribute what he has already given you. If we give what we have to him, he will bless it and give it back to us 
to use in feeding and helping others. Amen. So step number three we can learn from that process is obey what he commands. Do what he tells you to. Listen, guys, I, I, I'm going to tell you something. Some of us are too intellectual for our own good. Now, again, when I say intellectual for our own good, I don't mean faith don't mean that, that, that you, you can't use your mind. But sometimes faith ain't going to make sense to your mind. Hello? In other words, faith is, if it's the substance of things that are hoped for, and if it's the evidence of things that are not seen, then that means that I'm not going to be able to see everything. But I'm still commanded to move. So even though I can't see it, but if I have a word on it, I'm commanded to move on the word and not move on what I see. Watch this. See, Jesus is always trying to get his disciples to trust him completely and totally. And God is always trying to get us to trust him completely and totally. So if faith is the substance of things hoped for, if it is the evidence of things that I cannot see, so whenever I see it, then that don't mean I don't need faith for it, right? There's going to be times, guys, in your life where God is going to tell you to sow. He's going to tell you to give. He's going to tell you to move. He's going to tell you to go reach out to that person who you got art with or who has art with you. And he's going to tell you to move and go and to show compassion. And you got to be willing to step forward and do that. Some of y'all will say, well, you know, I don't do that two or three times. It ain't nothing changed. If God is moving you to go, you go. See, we have to learn to discern the voice of God. And when God's voice is speaking to us, when God's voice is, is nudging us, when, when God's voice is, is leading us and is, is, is constraining us, then we have to obey his command. Too many times we sit back and try to figure it all out before we'll move. Obey what he commands. Look at neighbor and neighbor. We have to obey him. And the step number four, conserve the results. I like this, conserve the results. Uh, look, look at what the disciples did. They, they gathered up. There was, I don't think it's by accident there were 12 baskets full up. 12 disciples, right? And, and so 12 baskets taken up. I think that was to remind them of God's provision. 12 baskets of leftovers from five barley loaves and two fish, right? There were 12 baskets but, the, but, these, but these 12 baskets represent, amen, God's provision, amen? One for each disciple to remind them that God is in control. So start with what you have, give what you have to Jesus, obey what he commands, and conserve the results. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 was actually a sermon in action, guys. And Jesus is the bread of life, and only he can satisfy the spiritual hunger that's in our hearts. There's, there's an infinite, there's a void in every last one of us that only can be filled by Jesus. And here's what happened to you as a believer, if you're not careful. As a believer, if you don't spend time with God, if you're not really uh, plugged in and connected to, to the God's plan and pattern for your life, you, you'll sense a, 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 an emptiness even when you come to church. You, you'll feel like, well, something's just missing in my life. And it is missing because that time with God is not being uh, parlayed out in your everyday life. Because you can't just come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and expect to grow in your faith. It's more personal than that. God is looking for us to spend some quality time with him. And we're going to see this as we get to this next text, into the next text part of this text is that Jesus did the very same thing that we are required to do. Verse number 14, let's go to verse number 22, I'm sorry. Verse number 22, can we get that right quick? 
Immediately after this, after what? Immediately after what? What, what was the context? Because they fed the 5,000. Now again, remember, what had the disciples said? The disciples, I believe the disciples were just like some of us. Send them away. We ain't got no, enough money to buy all food for all these folks. And, 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 and we only have this little five barley loaves and two pieces of fish. Send them away. But Jesus had a different plan. And he has a different plan for us. So on the heels of that, on the heels of them seeing the miraculous work that Jesus just did, we go into this situation right here. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples, he insisted, case he says he can strain, okay? And, and, and uh, it, it, that word literally means to compel. It means to literally make someone do something. You ever, you ever been made to do something? How many of y'all, when you were growing up, your parents made you do stuff? That's, I mean, if they didn't, that, that, that's part of being trained up. Some of y'all parents didn't make you clean up your room. That's why you nasty right now. How many of y'all, how many of y'all, for all, for all of you that are, that are getting ready to go off to, uh, to school or college, uh, and you, uh, in all likelihood, gonna gonna room with somebody who you don't know, or maybe somebody who you do know. You think you know them <laughs> until you get down there. There, there. My wife was telling me about one of her roommates. She had. She said that the young lady was just 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 was unkept. I mean, beautiful lady. I mean, just gorgeous. I mean, flowing hair and everything. But she would just. I mean, she just drop her clothes on the floor when she get out of them. What did I say, y- y'all? Flowing hair. I mean, you know, kind of just, you know, wavy, flowing hair. Looked good on the outside, but was, was very unkept. Uh, thank God all the roommates that I had, I had about three or four of them, were, were pretty, pretty, you know, well kept. Because, you know, what I did, I would set the standard. I would make up my bed every time I get up out of it. Now, I want to ask you a question. When you, how many of y'all make up your bed when you get out of it, when you were in school? Yeah, we got a few of y'all. Some of y'all, see, yeah, yeah, yeah. At our house, we have a rule. It's the last man out rule. Y'all know what that is? Last man out, make the bed up. So, so if, if, if I get out last, and Mararia generally gets up uh, uh, sooner than I do, uh, but um I'm usually the one making the bed up. It's the last man out rule because, listen, you, you can get used to being nasty. I mean, some of y'all, don't get offended with me because you don't make your bed up. I'm just telling you that, that you don't know who you're going to be rooming with and how, what, their, what their habits are. And if, that, if their mom and dad didn't train them by making them do that, then what's going to happen is when they get older, they're going to be unaccustomed to doing that. And so some of y'all ought to go and, and just, don't literally do this, but, go, but in your mind, just say, I ought to slap you, mama, for not telling your daughter how to, no, no. In your mind, in your mind, in your mind. Say, mama, why didn't you teach your daughter how to cook? How, why didn't you teach your daughter how to make up? And, and dad, how, how come you didn't teach your son how to be a, a, a man of integrity and honor? Hello? See, boys need to know how to clean their room, too. I'm balanced. I'm balanced, yeah. 
Boys, you know how to clean their room too. And if they don't, if they if they grow up not knowing how to do that and aren't accustomed to doing it, it's the parents' fault. Now, but now that you're getting this teaching, if you're still nasty, it's your fault. What am I getting at? Sometimes we don't know who we're dealing with until we deal with them. Sometimes we don't know what people really are until we see where they really are. Sometimes the picture that we see on the outside is not really what's happening on the inside. Can I get a witness? But here, after seeing this, 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 this miracle take place, we flow into this next session, and I don't think it's by accident that that miracle took place before the disciples were told by Jesus, compelled by Jesus, constrained by Jesus to get into the boat, get into the ship, and to go to the other side. Can I get a witness? The Gospel of John records the reason why Jesus was in such a hurry to dismiss the crowd and send the disciples back in the boat. The crowd wanted to make Jesus king right then and there. You can look it up in John 6. We don't have time to go about it. Go there. John 6, 14 and 15. The, the crowd wanted to make Jesus king. The Lord knew that their motives were not spiritual and that their purposes were out of God's will. If the disciples had stayed, they would have probably fallen right in with the plans of that crowd. Why? Because at this point, guys, just like we just saw earlier, the disciples didn't fully understand Christ's plan. They were walking with him, but they didn't fully understand his plan. You know, they, they, these guys were still guilty over arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Who, who's going to get to sit on the right hand and the left hand side of Jesus? So they still have some growing to do. Everybody say growing. Guys, let me tell you something. All of us in our walk with the Lord have growing to do. Never think that you're in a position to where you can't learn more about Christ and learn how to grow and be like him. We all are ever growing and we'll all be doing so until the rapture of the church takes place. Can I get a witness? So, so again, we look at this, uh, look at verse uh, 22, 23, go to verse 23. The, the Bible says, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Okay, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Again, he sent them up to the way. Here Jesus is alone. Now guys, I, I, I will tell you this. It's important for us to have some alone time with the master. Jesus had alone time with his father. We need to have some quiet time, some time of reflection, some time a meditation that we put before our God. And we, we're talking about this on Wednesday night, talking about strategy for our word time, learning how to, to actually observe the text, learning how uh, to interpret the text, learning how to correlate that text with other texts which will help us to understand that text. And we're learning how to apply that word to our lives. Guys, it's critically important. We're in an age now where, 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 where people have become cynical about the things of God. So as a Christian, we need to know, amen, our foundational principles and truths. And guys, that will not happen just by coming on Sunday morning. We've got to have some time when we break the word of God down. We've got to have some time when we pray and allow the spirit of God to speak to us. So, so, again, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. 
Night fell while he was there alone. This is Jesus, I'll say. Look at verse number 24. Let's read, guys. It says what? Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land. Now watch this, guys. If, and I said this before when I talked this several years ago. If Jesus had to constrain them, literally make them get into the ship, there was some hesitancy on their part, right? For it, it, it could have been for any number of reasons. Maybe they want to stay there and be around the master because he just fed 5,000 besides the women and children with five barley loaves and two pieces of fish. I want to be around that kind of guy. How about you? But he's sending them away. Or maybe, maybe, just maybe, because they were experienced fishermen, they could read the cloud lines. They could read in, in this Sea of Galilee that they, that they were getting ready to go across is known for having dramatic storms that come their way. And probably they saw it, saw it in a distance and, and, and didn't want to get out there. How many of you know, whenever you see dark clouds rolling up, you know something getting ready to happen, right? Uh, and so, so, so they, they, they were not... They were, not, they were not really wanting to do this, but the Bible says he constrained them. Basically, he made them do it. And I start out by saying, parents, there are some things that we have to make our children do when we're training them. When they're in our household, they don't get an option to clean their rooms. They don't, they don't have an option not to take out the trash. Let me, let me, let me talk to some of these modern I'm not going to do my children like my mama did me. You all right. And, I'm, and your child ain't all right because you decided that I, I, I'm not going to whip my child. I pray nobody said that. What do we quote all the time? Foolishness is where? And what will drive it out of? Sure will, okay? Every child on... It's not the same. I understand that. But if some need a ride of correction, can I get a witness? All right. So watch, watch it. Let's go. So meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. The text says this next verse. Uh, about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Next verse is what? When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it is a ghost. Next verse, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. When, when you know and when you understand that Jesus is with you in the middle of the storm, it can give you peace and you can have courage to walk through the storm. When you know he's there. When you understand that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. But again, guys, there have been some storms, and you and I both have had some storms in our life that, that, that looked like it, it just was going to take us out. Can I get a witness? Some things that, that, that came upon us that, that made us grieve in our spirits. But even when that kind of stuff happens in our life, and it will happen, because we're not exempt from storms, but one thing we need to know is when we're in the midst of the storm, if we are born again believer, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is in the storm with us. And when you know that, you can take courage and know that, hey, listen, storms don't last always. 
But we got a Savior who's with us. Watch this, watch this. Keep reading. Let's go, let's go. Verse 28 says what? Then Peter called him, old Peter. Y'all know Peter, right? The boisterous one, the one that always speaks up first. The one that's always jumping in front of everybody. The one that's always speaking before you even think, right? The text says, he said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the, over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Now watch this. Verse 30, y'all know the story. Come on. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Now, again, you guys know this. Watch this. He was walking and he was moving. He was, he was moving in the supernatural as long as he kept his eye on Jesus. Here's what the enemy is trying to do to all of us in here. When storms come, some that he may sin and some that are just the natural order of living in a fallen, sinful world. When, 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 when those storms come, when those situations come, the enemy tries to get our mind off of Jesus, off of his word, and place it on the circumstance that we're going through. Place it on the, on the sickness that's in our body. Place it on the relationship that's gone sour. He wants our mind to be off of the word, off of his promise, and squarely on the financial difficulty that we're in. Now, again, I'm not saying that we don't need to have a plan to try to take care of those things. But what we cannot forget, what we cannot afford to do is to take our eyes off of Jesus and start focusing on the circumstance. Because when that happens, we fail a man to trust in the one who's the Lord of the circumstance. The text says, but when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Now notice what Jesus said after this. Look at verse 31. Let's go. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. And he says what? You have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? Now guess, guys, watch this. He stepped out, first of all, and was walking on the water. That to me, when I first read it, I'm like, man, that, that, that took some faith there, didn't he? He stepped out. But guess what, guys? See, true faith is born out when it's being challenged by the circumstances. If you're tithing, but then if if you if something comes up that that squeezes your pocketbook, will you still tithe? Hello, you you're you're <laughs> you're married, and and you said I'm in covenant relationship, but what happens when the one who you love does something that just hurts you to your very core? Do you give up on the covenant? What happens, come on, when you, you, you came and told me, Pastor, I feel and I know without a shadow of a doubt God is calling me to work in this area of ministry over here, but what happens when you start working in the area of ministry, somebody offends you over there? What do you do? I just feel like, I, you know, Pastor, I'm going to just, just, just pull back for right now because I don't like no mess. Well, you told me God told you to do that. I didn't say it. You said it. But so this person who, who hurts your feelings now is causing you, you telling me, to just pull back. 
Now, listen, when God gives you a, 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 a plan and a purpose for your life and you walk in, the, in line with that plan and that purpose, you're going to run into some people who are going to make you feel like you don't want to do it anymore. But see, you still got to walk with God even when you run into dis- people who are dishonorable, people who may be you know, not likable. We still have an obligation to follow what God told us to do. Can I get a witness? All right? So watch this. So, so, so sometimes our faith is not where we think it is. We start out strong, but then when the storms come, when the problems come, when the challenges come, and they will, I'm, I'm, listen, look at me. As sure as I'm, you're looking at me and I'm black, and I am, right? When you start moving with God, the enemy's going to get busy. So why are you all surprised? Why are you all surprised that stuff started happening when you start, when you made a commitment to do it God's way? Why are you surprised when people start cutting up when you decide you're going to do it God's way? It's designed to get your eyes off of him and to place it on them. Because Satan knows if he can get your eyes off of the word of God, that he can take, take you away from the walk of faith. Because faith comes by and hearing by what? The word of God. It, it absolutely does. Now watch. Look at this. Watch. He said, why did you doubt me? He said, why did you doubt me? Jesus says, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? Guys, I'm going to tell you something. We, we, we may not admit it, and we probably won't ever say it. But you know what? When God gives us a promise in his word, and we're afraid to move on that promise, we're really doubting him. Pop up John 1 and 1 right quick. John 1 and 1. Watch this. We're doubting him. Y'all know this, but the storms of life. We're going to have some storms in our life. Y'all know that? They're going to come. How are you going to respond? Some of y'all are in the middle of a storm right now, a relational storm. You don't know if you're going to make it. In your mind. But I'm here to tell you, God is able. Some of y'all are in a financial storm right now. And you doubted God. And that's what God is after. God is trying to teach each one of us not to doubt it, but to trust it. And some of y'all in covenant with, you, you maybe want to move with God, but you're in covenant with somebody who don't want to move with God. I've said it before, I'd rather obey God than obey man. If malaria starts, and for somebody to say this, and I've heard people say this, well, you know, I'm married to him, I got to live with him. So, so, so what you're saying is that man or that woman takes precedent over what God said. And the Bible says it's better to obey God than man. If you know the person you're in covenant with is doing something wrong, you're going to go along with them just because you're in covenant with them? How asinine is that? Come on, guys. Either God's word is true or it's not. Well, he wanted to divorce me because I was following the word of God. Or she wants to divorce me because she said I'm too spiritual. Well, baby, let me tell you something. If you got somebody like that that leaves you because you obey God, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going with God. Because that person don't have a heaven or a hell to put me in. And, and ain't no love stronger than the love that Jesus Christ shared for me. I don't care if it's him. I'm going to go with God. 
Now, you got to decide. I'm like, I'm like Joshua. I, you know, choose this day who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen? So, so you have an obligation spiritually as a believer to go with God. Amen? To, that's, that's, I mean, either his word is true or it's not. So when, when you doubt his word, you're doubting him. Look at what the text says. Can we read together? It says what? In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. And the word what? Was God. Look at verse 2. He existed in the beginning with God. Verse 3 says what? God created everything through him. Back up. I thought we were talking about word. Word is a person. Back up. Come on. Uh, Verse number one, look at verse one again. It says what? In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. Verse two, watch this. Y'all know this. He existed, he existed in the beginning with God. Who is he? Word. Verse three, go, let's go. God created everything through him. Who is him? Word. And nothing was created except through him. What is him? Word. All right. Now watch this. Can we keep reading? Verse number four says what? The word, him, gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to what? To everyone. Keep reading. It says what? Verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Verse six, read. It says God sent a man, John the Baptist, verse seven, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. Next verse says what? John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. Who is the light of the world, Jerry? Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Keep reading, y'all. Come on, let's go. It says what? The one who was the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. It says what in verse 10? He came into the very world he created, but the world did not what? Recognize him. Verse 11, let's read, says what? He came to his own people and even they rejected him. He's talking about the word here, y'all. The word, the word, the word, the word. Jesus Christ, the word, his own people, the Jewish nation rejected him as the Messiah. Verse 12, read. But to all who believed him and accepted him, which is the same as word, he gave the right to become what? Children of God, guys. See, we have to realize that if we doubt the word, we're doubting Jesus. So, so, Back to our text in Matthew, the 14th chapter. Jesus tells Peter, you don't have enough faith. Why did you doubt me? He doubted his word because when he says, if you bid me to come unto you, and Jesus said, what, come. As long as he stood on that word and stopped looking at the circumstances, he was moving in the supernatural. The moment we start looking at the circumstances and not looking at the word, we, we, we're going to stop walk, operating in the supernatural. Let me, give, let me give you some lessons right quick, and we're going to get on out of here. The storms of life. What, what can we learn from this? Because all of us have storms, right? No, lesson number one we can learn from this text. It is possible to find yourself in the worst storm of your life and be right in the middle of the will of God. It is possible to find yourself in the worst storm of your life and be right in the middle of the will of God. See, there are times when people think that 
when, when trouble comes or situation get crazy, that means I'm outside the will of God. Not necessarily. A lot of times, stuff happens, amen, and we're right in the middle of the will of God. It's possible to find yourself in the worst storm of your life and be right in the middle of the will of God. Okay? Disciples, were, I, I, again, I think they were hesitant because they knew what was coming. They knew a storm was coming. Or maybe they just didn't want to leave Jesus, amen? Lesson number two. Y'all, did y'all get that one? Glory to God. Give, give them number one again, and we'll, and, and we'll, we'll uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to shut it down for number two. We, we, I got seven to get you, but we're going to stop at number two. It's possible to find yourself in the worst storm of your life and be right in the middle of the will of God. These disciples were doing what Jesus told them to do. As a matter of fact, Jesus had to constrain them to get in the ship and go to the other side. So here, they're doing what Jesus told them to do, and then the storm arrives. Now think about that for a second. The storm arrived. But you know what? Who came walking on the water? Who's able to calm the storm in the raging sea? Who's able to speak to it and say, peace be still? Who's able, amen, to take you from nothing and put you into something? Who's able to bring you from the, va- from the valley to the mountaintop? Who's able? Yes, he is. So when you're in the middle of a storm, don't ever forget that you got somebody there with you. Lesson number two, glory to God. Obedience demands an immediate response. Obedience demands an immediate response. Because, guys, delayed obedience is still classified as disobedience. If your mama tell you, boy, get out there and take that trash, trash up from the road right now. You decide in your mind, I'm going to finish playing this video game. I'm in the middle of Madden 2018, and I'm, I'm all... I'm getting ready to score the winning touchdown. I will do it once I finish playing the game. And in your little mind, you think you're still being obedient, don't you? But delayed obedience is disobedience. Are y'all listening to me? True obedience demands an immediate response. Well, brother, pastor, I'll start giving once I make $50,000 a year. No, you won't. Because if you won't give at 20, you're not going to give at 50. You got to trust God with what you have. Can I get a witness? Obedience demands an immediate response. Again, uh, it's it's, it's interesting to me that that, that these disciples (laughs) were were in this situation and they they, they became fearful. And storms in our lives sometimes can cause fear to rise up. And guys, I'm telling you, sudden fear happens. But what we got to do is when that sudden fear comes up, like like the Bible says, don't be afraid of that sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it comes. Because the Lord will be your confidence. Who will be your confidence? The Lord will. And he will keep your feet from being taken. See, even when I don't have confidence, God's got confidence. I'm going to trust that he has my best interested heart and whatever it is that I'm going through, I got to trust that he'll see me through it. I got to stop y'all, but we'll pick up on next week. The storms of life. There are storms that happen in our lives, guys. And there's some lessons that we can learn through those storms. 
And I 